Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to a new episode of Undying Light. I am your host, Alex, and we continue our journey through the Book of Song of Solomon. Uh, Last week, we wrapped up chapter four. Uh, This week, we're going to see if we can't get through five and six in terms of time. And uh, five is a little bit longer. It's 16 verses. Chapter six is 13 verses, so it's a little bit shorter. Uh, And then next week, we can finish off seven and eight. So we got a lot to cover um, we will read through it as we have been, and uh, you know I want to ensure that uh, we keep the episodes short and concise, mainly because there's a lot of things going on in my house right now with a newborn son upstairs uh, and a three-year-old who is actively looking for attention. And so my wife is currently juggling both children, and I am downstairs recording, so I think I'm uh, going to keep these to anywhere between 30 and 45 minutes in terms of time. And, you know, we're going to try this experiment for a little bit and see how it works. If people enjoy it, then, uh, you know, if I have to produce an extra show or two for a series, then that's fine. But I think it helps to keep those short drives or, you know, your your afternoon uh, listenings to a minimum. And you're not having to plow through an hour and a half of me babbling on and on. So... With that said, the only quick commercial I have for you before we get into the content of today's show is to come and join us on Patreon. We are a listener-supported show, and we have currently 53 patrons, and uh, they all are amazing people. And so I am blessed to know many of them uh, individually. A lot of them uh, just are probably listeners and uh, are not on social media, which is totally fine. But we are on Discord, so you can come join us in a private uh, group chat where where we just talk about little bits of everything and even going to do a secret Santa ex- uh, gift exchange again this year. We did one last year. It was really successful, and we all had a lot of fun with it. Very excited to do it again this year, hoping to get more people involved. I think we had oh, 12 or 15 people last year involved, so I'd love to see that north of 20. For those who listen to the show, make sure 
you get in on that, that is a whole lot of fun. And on top of all that, that's just one of the minor perks. You get access to all the Bible studies that I do uh, for my church. So you'll be able to join us on Zoom and participate in the Bible study. We're in the book of Hosea. We're looking at that prophet right now. And you get uh, early releases of the show when I get the opportunity to record them early. You will get sermon notes, school papers, uh, any other lectures that I find interesting and whatnot that would be um, you know, prevalent to me. I share them with you. So lots and lots of extra perks and bonuses. There are no tiers. You don't have to pay more money to get something in addition. Uh, if you choose to give more than a dollar, that is um, a tremendous blessing to me, but it is completely up to you. So $1 a month literally gets you access to everything that I do behind the scenes. And I am also writing a commentary. I have been slacking, and I've told my patrons that we've just been so busy. We've had, you know, our son was born two weeks ago. Uh, so I've been just, we've been hammered with doctor's appointments and traveling and all sorts of stuff. So that's on its way too. I am about halfway through the book of Galatians writing it. I think I've got, uh, picking up in chapter four, I think it was the last one I need to do. So hopefully I'll get some time this weekend to do so. But that is again, just another perk that you get for joining us on Patreon. Lots and lots of extra stuff coming down the chute. And we are very excited to continue to uh, offer that. Most of it is exclusive to patrons. Um, there are a few things that we will have brandished uh, online for anybody to read or watch and partake in. But most of the stuff will be patron exclusive. So, guys, last week we finished uh, Chapter 4. Um, the last part of the verse in verse 16, uh, is split. It now gives a new title, and this actually carries on into chapter 5, uh, verse 1, and it's together in the garden of love. And so we um, finished with let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. We talked a lot about that in terms of what is going on here. Um, but now we carry this conversation on here in chapter five, and it only goes to the first verse. Uh, this is Solomon writing here in verse one, uh, and then the others uh, cheer out here at the back of verse one, and then uh, his bride picks up here verse two, uh, the bride searches for her beloved. So again, we go into another cycle here. So let's get into the text, and this is what uh, Solomon is writing. Verse one, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride, I gathered my myrrh with my spice, I ate my honeycomb with my honey, and I drank my wine with my milk. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. The Shulamite goes on here, and she says, I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is wet with dew, my locks with drops of the night. I had put off my garment. How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? My beloved put his hand on the latch. My heart was thrilled within me. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh. My fingers were my fingers with liquid liquid myrrh. And on the handles of the bottle, I opened to my beloved, and my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him. But he found me not. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchmen found me as they went about the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my veil. 
Those watchmen of the walls, I adjourn you, O daughters of Jerusalem, to find my beloved and tell him I am sick with love. All right, we're going to stop here at verse 8 because we're going to put some context into what is happening here in these first few verses. Uh, as we mentioned um, at the head of the show, verse uh, five one carries on kind of the theme from last week, so we won't dig into that too deep. But verse two, the Shulamite has been asleep in bed when Solomon comes knocking, unprepared. She is unwilling to respond. Uh, verse four, this latch Solomon eagerly desires to be with his bride. This overture of his bridegroom reaching to open the doors stirs the Shulamite's heart. The door would have been a fist size. A keyhole through which one could reach with a key that matched a set of pins, uh, which held the bolt in place. Now, as we move on into this next verse, verse five, this myrrh and liquid myrrh, the oil of myrrh dripping from her hand onto the door handle. Uh, this experience, verses two through six, may be a half waking type dream. Uh, this bolt, the Shulamite refer- reaches to open the same door that Solomon has set his hand to earlier. Uh, the Watchmen, uh, we made a reference to these individuals back in the first show in this series. Um, the treatment of the Shulamite is stark contrast to their behavior during her previous search. Um, and uh, back in verses uh, 1 through 5 of chapter 3, we're not explicitly told why. Uh, verse 8, the sick with love, despite suffering, she remains ever focused on the one whose heart desires. There is no curing her sickness except to have the one that she seeks. So again, we continue on here as we look um, into verse eight, and I kind of want to drop, this is what Luther writes on verse seven, because it's a little bit interesting here to dig into this watchman, you know, uh, difference here that we see here in chapter five versus chapter three. This is what Luther writes. He says, by watchmen, here I understand the doctors of the law who do not console but terrify evermore and bring sin to life. Like those men on jo- in Job, they condemn when they should be consoling. The watchmen can also be taken as those teachers who, in the time of calamity, advise worthless defenses for us to rely on. This is like the worship of saints, indulgences, and other godless nonsense of the same sort which flourished among us. But afflicted souls cannot be raised up except through the word of grace. All other forms of solace not only do not help, but would even more uh, heap up rage just as here the afflicted people is overpowered. So Luther, again, as I had mentioned a few times, has a very different take on the scripture. He is going, I mean, he is peeling out all of the layers and he's at the very core uh, and trying to see exactly what the depths are um, of this letter. Yes, we could demonstrate that it is a love letter between Solomon and the Shulamite, but also many other uh, commentaries and theologians have presented that this can be a representation of Jesus Christ and the church and God's pursuit through Christ for us. So let's get into verse 9 here. Uh, What is your beloved more than another beloved? Oh, most most beautiful among women, what is your beloved more than another beloved? That you thus adorn us. Okay, so this was the others kind of doing a little spur. Again, we don't really have a collective knowledge of who those others are. All right, carrying on now into verse 10. 
we have the bride praises her beloved. This is the Shulamite speaking again. Uh, and this will carry on, this little uh, division will carry on here until verse 1 of chapter 6. Um, again, w- the way the book was broken down, and I gave two different perspectives. One was from the Lutheran Study Bible. Another was from the ESV Study Bible in the first episode of this series. And I talked about the different cycles that this book kind of undertakes. It isn't really uh, well-read in a chronological stance. But there are things that we can pick up in, in how we read and understand the text. So um, when I say like this little section carries on to verse 1, it's just the title uh, that the ESV has assigned to this portion of the text. And so, again, we should remember that when these were written, there were no chapters or verses. They were just, you know, straight letters written. And so we get the verse break. Um, generally, every sentence or every two sentences, depending on the text framing, uh, and then we also get uh, chapters as kind of the thought processes are changing or transitioning into something else. So uh, a fascinating little study if you were to get into how and why chapters and verses were assigned as, to certain things, uh, it, you can do that Um but, uh, you know, it's kind of up to you. I don't know if that's really your cup of tea. Uh, it could be pretty boring to some people. Personally, I go a little bit to the more of the textual criticism aspect and, and want to dig into the actual manuscripts and what are those really saying and how uh, the translations uh, today, especially in English, since that's what I read, uh, how that reflects the original manuscripts from the time periods that they were written in. All right, so verse 10 here, uh, the Shulamite continues. It's, uh, again, I said the title is The Bride Praises Her Beloved. This is she speaking. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold, and his locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves besides the streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like the beds, beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory, de-decked, uh, bedecked with sapphires. His legs are abister columns set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, he is another desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Now, again, this is where we get symbolic readings here, uh, and we see that uh, we talked about it quite often when we walked through the book of Revelation verse by verse. These descriptions are not a literal description of Solomon. Uh, he doesn't literally have eyes like doves, and uh, he, his cheeks are not beds of spices. He His arms are not gold. He doesn't stand on alabaster columns. These are descriptive terms used uh, to showcase what is going on. So uh, let us uh, kind of wrap up Chapter 5 here um, with this commentary. Uh if we were to sum up the first portion of chapter five, verses two through nine, we'll say life is often confusing. When our Lord comes to us, he may 
be slow to hear, or we may be slow to hear and to even believe. We may look for him and not find him where, where or as we want. And in such times of confusion, call on the Lord in prayer and seek him in his word. He promises to hear and comfort you. Now, this is a great summary for this portion because remember the, Sh- the Shulamite is seeking Solomon, her bride, and she can't find him. She can't, uh, uh, he's already left, if you would. That's where we see her go out into the streets and the watchmen find her and beat her. Um, but she's actively seeking her love. And that, I think, is a great analogy to the Christian walk because not often do we as Christians, uh, are we one, actively seeking the Lord because we are often very slow to hear what he has to say and even more so to believe. Uh, This is also challenging for the church today because many do not want to go to church for fear of coronavirus or fear of this, that, or the other. They do not want to come. They don't hear the gospel preached. They do not uh, participate in uh, corporate worship and they find themselves in despair and agony because they have essentially abandoned their first love for the Lord. And so I think this is a great little summary because when we reach these points, we are to call on the Lord in prayer and to seek him in his word, open your Bible and spend some time reading and praying now to seek the Lord. And I, I forget which there was a modern reformed theologian that had meant, made this distinguishment, but I think it pays, pays us to understand it too. Those who seek the Lord have already been converted to Christians. Those who do not, or those who are not converted do not seek the Lord. So when Paul re- references Romans three and he says that no one seeks the Lord, he's referring back, I think it's Psalm 14. And he's saying that no one seeks the Lord. No, not one in that, The world does not seek after God. They are looking for their own God and their own image. So when we are instructed to seek the Lord out in prayer and in his word, it is a command given to those who have faith, those who believe in Jesus and those who uh, are in just momentary stances of sin or disbelief or despair or whatever it may be. But those Christians have the ability to then seek the Lord. But this command is not given explicitly to the to those outside of Christianity. So now we move into verses 10 through 16, a more intimate portrait of Solomon uh, than provided anywhere else in the song. This is a descriptive poetry uh, to that uh, the Shulamite assigns to Solomon here and the most intimate, as it says, the, you know, portrait painted for him. We don't get this given to us anywhere else in this letter. Uh, And you can actually even, it is titled the song of Solomon. So this could be even a a song song. Uh, I don't know. You might want to be careful of what you're singing. There are some verses that might offend some people, yada, 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 but let's move on. So Rudy, uh, verse 10 here, uh, Oh, my screen was off-centered here. Let me get back to where I was. I was reading verse 2 by accident. Uh, my beloved is radiant and ruddy, or ruddy. Um, 
This is red, full of life and vigor. Solomon's father, David, is even described as Rudy in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 12. Now, moving on to verse 12. Uh, Besides the streams of waters bathed in milk, his eyes are clear, reflective, bathed in the abundance of God's flavor. (laughs) Flavor. Favor. Wow. What a day. Uh, Again, we see references to the liquid myrrh, which we just talked about. This alabaster columns, while strong, uh, white, strong, and sturdy like the magnificent pillars of the king's palace. Um, this is in Esther one sixteen, or I'm sorry, one six, and the Lebion, and we talked about that last episode in chapter four. So verses uh, ten through chapter six, verse one. Well, I'll read six one here real quick. Uh, where has your beloved gone? This is others speaking now. Uh, where has your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned that we may seek him with you? Again, remember, this is her seeking after Solomon. The others are are asking, where has her beloved gone to? And uh, so that concludes verse 1 in chapter 6. So in a summary of this portion to pray for your spouse, even if you have not yet met your spouse. I know many people on social media who have messaged me uh, that they're in their mid to late 20s. They don't have, you can call it prospects for marriage, but they don't have a significant other in their life. They don't have somebody they're courting uh, or somebody that they are actively pursuing marriage with. And I continuously remind them that one, marriage isn't necessarily a promise given. There is promises in marriage, but the promise of marriage is not explicitly given in scripture. So not all people will be married. Paul makes that pretty clear, I think, in 1 Corinthians, where he is talking about how his being single essentially allows Christ to use him uh, to his full capacity. Not to say that somebody like Peter, who was married, uh, had any sort of uh, discrepancies or issues with that. I mean, I myself have been married for uh, 14 years, and my wife and I have two beautiful kids and she was willing to quit her job that she absolutely loved, move out of Illinois to Iowa and help me pursue uh, my call as a pastor. So there are uh, there, there comes that weight, if you would, to pray for your spouse in all seasons. And if you are not with, you know, somebody or you do not have a relationship with somebody, continue to pray for that Pray to God for that person. Uh, if you are married, consider celebrating God's gift of a spouse by describing your spouse's best qualities. Whether you are married or single, rejoice in the love of the Lord. And I, I think that is wonderful. And I think that's something that's often uh, missing from churches today is that uh, men, especially men, and I'm going to speak to you directly, men, so men, Take the opportunity to describe to your wife the best qualities that she has. If she is an amazing cook, make sure she knows it. If she picked up the house, tell her, wow, you did an amazing job <laughs> cleaning up the house. I mean, it's it's the little stuff. You don't, It doesn't necessarily have to be her features. I mean, you can compliment her features by all means. But what I'm trying to get at is compliment her and what she's doing to help you. Because you, and and I, speaking directly to myself, often 
uh, overlook just the smallest things that they do, whether it's waking up at 2 a.m. to take care of a crying child, changing uh, dirty diapers or giving baths to the kids, ensuring that they're getting off to school on time and ensuring the house is picked up, the dishes are done, dinner's prepared, whatever it may be. There are so many things that your spouse picks up and does, and all of it is most often overlooked. And I think that's why we have such a uh, breakdown of the nuclear family in the United States is that men have lost this passion for their spouse. They are searching for passions elsewhere by social media, by pornography, by any other means and they have left their spouse in the dust. And this is why marriages in the West have been greatly destroyed uh, because we forget the most fundamental things. This is a beautiful gift that God has given us to walk out our lives with a companion, with somebody else. And, and I'll tell you what, my wife and I, we do not share uh, common interests in a lot of things. We, we like some of the same TV shows and movies, and so that helps. But we don't care necessarily for the same foods. I'm a simple man. I could eat the same 10 things for the rest of my life and be fine. My wife wants exotic stuff. She wants to try different things. She wants a rotation in her food. And I'm like, just meat, potatoes, and mac and cheese, and pizza, fried chicken. I'm good. And, uh, you know, like case in point, we had to go to the doctors yesterday. And my wife's like, I'm starving. What do you want? And I'm like, I don't know. There's, we, we don't have a lot. Of, we didn't have a lot of time. And so it was like, you know, we just go grab a burger real quick or something. She's like, well, I kind of want Panda Express. And so like, I don't care for that stuff. So, you know, there, there's just, you know, give and take compromise and in, in marriages that have to be done. But these are the things that I find to be that, that make our relationship so amazing is the fact that we just don't get along. I'm a nerd. She's not a nerd. I love sports. My wife doesn't care for sports. My wife is, you know, I joke with her that she was born out of the wrong era because she's a very conservative and modest individual and she likes to crochet and knit and stuff like that. She plays piano and she's a wonderful woman. But these are things that need to be demonstrated, not only just, you know, once in a while, but need to be demonstrated all the time. You need to take the opportunity to love your wife like Christ loves the church. And I think Vody Bacham says it best. It, you know, our job is to be missionaries into this world. And the closest mission field we have is our families. And so men go home and love your wife. And again, I'm speaking explicitly to, to the women or to the men here because I'm a man. And so I understand how our brains operate. So, uh, that is my rant on on this path on this portion here. So we got um let's see if we can rock this out in about ten minutes and let's get through chapter six. It's a bit shorter of a chapter. Uh as I mentioned, verse one is already taken up by chapter five. Uh now we see uh the Shulamite responds. They are together in the garden of love. This is verse two. My beloved has gone down to his garden to the beds of spices to graze in the gardens and gather lilies. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. And then the title changes here. Solomon and his bride delight in each other. This is Solomon saying, uh, you are as beautiful as Ty uh, Tyraz, my love, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. Turn away your eyes from me for they 
uh, overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilad. Your teeth are like the flock of ewes, and they have come up from a washing. All of them bear twins. Not one among them has lost its young. Your cheeks are like the halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. There are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. My dove, my my private one, is the only one and the only one of her mother, pure to her who bore her, the young women who saw her and called her blessed, the queens and concubines also, they praised her. Who is uh, the one who looks down like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? And the Shulamite replies here as we wrap out chapter 6. I went down to the nut orchard and looked at the blossoms of the valley to see whether the vines had bundled, whether the pomegranate were in bloom, but I was aware my desires set me among the chariots of my kinsmen, a prince. And then the others say, return, return, O Shulamite, return, return, that we may look upon you. And Solomon says to wrap out verse 13, why should you look upon the Shulamite as upon a dance between two armies? All right, so that is chapter six. Uh, like I said, very, very short, uh, only a few verses, but you know, context, contextually, it's about probably the same word, amount of words as uh, these others. Chapter seven, you know, we're back at 13 verses, so the same length, and then uh, chapter eight is 14 verses, so uh, not terribly a long book. But uh, there's a lot of content, a lot of things to unpack here. And again, I think it pays us good to spend the time reading these types of letters that are not often preached about or spoken of in church. You will probably never go and find a study done uh, in person on the Song of Solomon. And if you do, it's generally something in a marriage course or a relationship building or something of that nature that is where you will find this a little bit more often, but not necessarily in a church. The Song of Solomon isn't a book that I'm going to pull out and say, hey, church, let's study this next. Uh, I, you know, There's much more uh, in scripture that I would love my church to know, but this book is good in terms of how it helps us understand the love that Christ has for his church. And it helps us and reminds us that we are you know, we make this covenant promise with our spouse to love and obey them until death. And this is the promise that has been given to us in marriage. And though, and therefore we should be reminded of that often. So verse two, the beds of spices, terrences of which spices were grown. The Shulamite reflects uh, on the absence of her beloved who is called away for other duties. Uh, Tir, Tiraz, uh, following Jeroboam's apostasy in circa 922 BC, the capital city of northern Israel for over 100 years. Um, we talked about uh, the teeth and the Gilad back in chapter 4, uh, the promegranate back in chapter 4 as well. 
Uh, verse 8, the 60 queens, virgins without number. This is an interesting verse. The Shulamite is a queen among the queens, receiving the loftiest position among Shulamites, uh, among Solomon's many wives. The number 60 here indicates an earlier period in his reign. He eventually had over 700 wives and 300 concubines, uh, as First Kings 11.3 states. Uh, the virgins are likely among those who admired Solomon, but yet are not married to him. Now, I'm not going to get into the discussion too deep on this particular portion in reflection to um, or defend Solomon and his actions for having many wives. We know that um, marriage today is now, you know, one man, one woman. It should not be amongst one man and many women. Um, Why God allowed it? this to happen you get into some very interesting uh theology and some stuff that's just probably not going to please most people so i'm going to read what uh, luther has to write here on verse 8 so far he has been praising the various offices and ranks of his people yet the praises belong to the word by which the people is ruled rather than to the people who do the ruling. Now he gives thanks to the God-given government who has uh, barraged into the many cities and villages, for this is the subject matter to be grasped throughout this whole book. He is talking about the government. Accordingly, I take the 60 queens to be the wealthier and the 80 concubines, the more modest cities, which are situated throughout Solomon's entire kingdom. And uh, Sierra Iduma and Palestine, etc., and all other parts, and all used the same body of laws. The maidens of the myriad of other cities, which are all administered by God-given laws. The passage in the book, in the books of Kings, about the huge number of Solomon's wives is largely obscure. Has largely obscured this verse, but they are mistaken who think that Solomon took all of the wives because he was so lustful. The law imposed this necessity upon him, for it enjoined it enjoined that when a husband died, the next of kin has taken his place. Accordingly, forsaken widows realized that it would be their best arrangement for them if they were among the royal wives or concubines. It was for this reason that Solomon became the husband of many wives. Right there, I'm going to leave what Luther explains in that last little paragraph, and I'm just going to say this is <laughs> that's probably the best view. That can be given. You can come at me with all the law and all the things that you want to try and say and say, you know, and, and address this situation. I'm simply going to allow what Luther said to fall and, uh, and we'll, we'll just call it a day on that. So verse nine, only one of her mother, the Shulamite had brothers uh, that she may have been the only daughter. However, as Solomon conclude, considers her uh, his only one among 60 queens, 80 concubines and countless virgins. The only one of her mother may indicate a favored position among other women. Uh, medieval interpreters used uh, allegory to make this uh, one chief proof text for the unity of the church. Queens and concubines. Uh, we talked about that just a minute ago in the 60 queens. Solomon's self-indulgence led to idolatry and casts a shadow over his serving as, uh, as a serving as a type of Christ. So again, you... I'm not going to defend Solomon 
in terms of his idolatry or even self-indulgence or lust. I mean, he was a very wealthy man. He was very powerful. He inherited a wonderful kingdom from his father. And he had many wives and concubines that he married. And so whether we go to Luther's, you know, explanation of the text and say, hey, you know what, based upon what First Kings says and what this is showing, he's following the law to where he's marrying all these widows. And uh, again, we're not really given much explicit details on this. So my advice to you, when you uh, pass into the pearly gates, make sure you ask God why Solomon had all these wives. Uh, verse 11, I went down, the Solomon had many royal gardens, and the Shulamite visits one of them. Uh, verse 12, the Shulamite's desire has to has led her to a garden seeking her beloved. Suddenly, she finds herself among the chariots and entourage of her kingly husband, beckoning her to return with him. Uh, the Shulamite, in verse 16, uh, first place the text uh, calls the bride the Shulamite, uh, she may be, uh, she may be Abish, Abishag, the Shulamite, the beautiful woman chosen to care for David in his old age as first Kings one to, uh, first Kings one, one through four and verse 15. And then chapter two verses 17 and 21 through 22 indicate, or it may also be the feminine noun referred to. Uh, formed from uh, the name of Solomon, indicating his relationship as husband and wife. So that wraps up chapter six. Uh, As I had mentioned, we're at about the 35-minute mark, so I think that will take care of our time together. Um, We are still in the same title heading as we go into next week. Uh, Solomon and his bride delight into each other. Um, Solomon is going, uh, he began speaking here at the end of 13, and he'll continue speaking all the way till the end of verse 9. So again, you know, go back and listen to the first episode of this series. If you have not caught up, make sure you do so. Obviously, if you've made it all the way to this point, um, you're probably picking up context and understandings of things that we talked about in prior episodes. So go back and listen to those again and uh, let me know what your thoughts are if you enjoy this series. It's something that I thought was interesting and not often talked about, and so I wanted to take the opportunity to dig into some of these obscure texts and read them and, uh, and expound on them. So I hope you guys enjoy this series. Shoot me some DMs and share this out on your social media page. Uh, share screenshots of you listening to it. And I would love to see you guys tag me and all that stuff. So uh, until next week where we will finish up the Song of Solomon. Guys, have a great weekend and we will see you later. God bless. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.